0: Hey everyone, Zach Dixon here, and welcome to our 23rd episode of Animalators, Curious Conversations from the World of Animation. Today on the show we have Ryan Summers, a director, designer, and animator based in L.A., Ryan has worked with some of the best studios out there, including Imaginary Forces, Royale, and Digital Kitchen, and has worked on some pretty incredible projects, including the closing titles of Pacific Rim, the opening titles for a person of interest, and has worked with brands like Starbucks, National Geographic, and Google. Today we'll chat about how Ryan started in the industry, the importance of staying positive, the concept of failing, and we'll dive into a few specific projects Ryan has worked on over the years. I'm excited to get into all of this and more on this week's episode of Animal Eaters. All right, well, Ryan Summers, thanks so much for being willing to come on Animal Eaters. I'm stoked to have you.
1: Oh man, so am I. I'm so stoked. It's, uh, I, I listen to this show all the time. It's like my right-hand uh, right companion while I'm freelancing.
0: No way. That's yeah, awesome. Yeah. I love to hear that. Well, dude, you, you've you had such an in, incredible career so far, and, and it seems I'm excited to see where you go and get into your time at, at Imaginary Forces um, and what you're up to now in freelance. Um, but I understand that you started not in animation, um, but you started out to become a, a chemical engineer. Uh, so <laughs> if you wouldn't mind, how, how did you get from chemical engineer to... Um, Killer animator, director, designer.
1: Uh, it's crazy. I, it, it's funny, man, because like when, when I look back at it, all all, all the signs pointed to me doing this. But when like when I was in high school, it, it was the furthest thing from from anyone's mind. I, I'm you know I'm a kid of the '80s, so my whole life was you know like there's probably three or four tenets in my life, and it's like comic books, movies, cartoons, and video games. You know, like everybody, but like I feel like we're the first generation that. That's all we did. <laughs> like, like, I mean, yeah. I, I know I went outside and and, and saw the sun, <laughs> but I think most of my most of my favorite memories are probably somewhere in front of a TV or in front of a table drawing. Um, so, it, like in hindsight, it makes total sense. But man, like when I was in high school, I'm from south side of Chicago, and and when I was going to school, it wasn't even like an option. You know, like I, th- this is kind of a while ago too, so it's kind of like just post like Jurassic Park, Toy Story. Um, Nightmare Before Christmas we're kind of still in the 80s or 80s 90s like uh, Disney animation boom but for whatever reason man like wherever I was at like everything was about survival it felt like it didn't feel like it was Mm -hmm. like it felt like uh, I'm a big Bruce Springsteen fan but there were definitely times where it felt like uh, (laughs) it felt like a Bruce Springsteen song where it's like man if you can just survive and maybe get out of town and, and you know not that I didn't like where I lived but it was always like, if you could just get to Chicago, you, you made it, you know? And you, <laughs> like, and that was, it was, it's weird in hindsight, you know, like finally, like having moved away and, and living in California now, but yeah, it just wasn't on, on anybody's mind. So, so in school, like I kind of school was a little bit boring, but like, I was okay at science and math. And I feel like I kind of, you know, back then you just got pushed into whatever you did, you did well at. Um, and I, I had a really great like science department in high school. Like we had some of the best, uh, best teachers I had my whole life were I had a chemistry teacher and I had a physics teacher and I just love both of those. Um, so yeah. So my first two years of school were like dedicated hundred percent to, to science. <laughs> I was a man of
0: science, not a man of art. Wow. Do you feel like now that, that, I don't know. Do you think back on those days, and like, did, did that kind of shape the way that you, I don't know, solve problems today?
1: You know, it's weird. Like, I, it's so weird, man. When you look back, it, it's. I feel like it, it. Everything's gone by so quick. But then, when you really, I don't know if this happens with you, but when you really look back at your your career, your life, and you think back, like my the, my twenties feel like early twenties feel like so long ago. I'm like, there's not a single part of me. <laughs> there's not a single part of me that was in my like first two years of college that I really reflecting out. But then, like. When I think about like how I'd solve problems, I I totally do. Like I'm always even when like I teach at MoGriff Mentor and I, I find myself kind of echoing stuff that I must have, like, learned or absorbed then, But I'm always talking about, like, simplification. And, like, I I do – I think I do mention, like, the scientific method a lot more than I realize. Like, I'm always talking (laughs) (laughs) – I'm always talking about, like, limit yourself to one variable. Like, what's your hypothesis? Like, what's your – and and I guess it does kind of come from that kind of – that mentality. But I I don't think about it much. But, yeah, like, my problem-solving is a lot of times, like – like reduce everything down to the one biggest problem or the one biggest issue, solve that,
0: and then everything kind of falls into place. Yeah, maybe it, maybe it does actually come back into play. I like that. That's a great process. very simple too. I feel like it's hard to boil it down to something like that. But. Oh
1: yeah, I mean, I and mean, we'll get into it more, I'm sure. But I feel like half of our job is problem solving, and the other half of our job is like psychological. And so little of it day to day really is the. You know, the stuff we spend all the time building up to like so little of it is really like can I draw really well or do I understand after effects (laughs) like when you really get to it like the squishy like the stuff in between the black and white like so much of our job is that like do you know how to talk to someone and figure out what their problem is better than they know it. And then a lot of it's like how do I stay super stoked about what I'm doing even if it's not something that I thought I'd be interested in. And that's, that's got nothing to do with like Photoshop or After Effects or cinema or watching tutorials. It's the whole, the whole career is really crazy if you think about it.
0: Oh yeah. And and it's just an amalgamation of so like a ridiculous amount of skill sets that you have to figure out somehow. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It, It can be, yeah. It's very intimidating. I feel like it can be, but
1: Yeah. Maybe the saving grace is that you don't even realize that when you start, right? Like when you start, you can just double down on like, man, I got to learn all this stuff. Cool. And then every day you're just kind of like incrementally ticking one thing off that list. Um, But yeah, yeah, the bigger stuff, you don't even know what's going on. I think it just kind
0: of happens. So you're sitting there with, you know, your couple years towards becoming uh, a chemical engineer. How did that transition? Did you transition then to art school? Was there like a moment where you're like, you know, this isn't for me?
1: Yeah. There, you know, I, I never didn't like science, but I, what, what ended up happening was, you know, like I, I was always taking electives, you know, that had nothing to do with science, like life drawing classes and typography, just stuff to kind of fill up your schedule. And uh, there was this one moment I had, a, I had a friend, he was an IT guy at the school I was at. And it only happened once, one time the entire school. But he, he taught a 3D studio class. Like, it was in DOS. It wasn't even, it wasn't even Windows, actually, if I remember right. And he, he basically, like, convinced somebody to get him, like, 10 free licenses. And then the school was closed on Saturdays. And I remember, it's weird, I actually remember, we, we would go in and all 10 or 12 of us in the class would wait for him to show up. He'd pull up in his car <laughs> and he, he'd unlock the door to the school and then basically like lock us in for the whole day for like 12 hours. <laughs> and, and it was the, the thing I talk about all the time. You know, I probably will say it so you get sick of it. But it's the honestly like other than when I was drawing as a little kid and maybe when I was playing video games, it was the first time in my life as an adult that I ever kind of like, it's a dumb word, but I entered into like a flow state or like I, I just had this like groove. Like it was so weird because I, I wasn't, we didn't even have a computer at home. It, it was so weird. But I'd sit in the lab and we were just starting to like learn how to model and learn how to animate and rig. It's the first time in my life that I ever had a moment where it's like, it was nine o'clock in the morning and what felt like 20 minutes, it was nine o'clock at night. Like it just snapped. <laughs> like, and I, I'm sure we've all had that that kind of experience, but it, it, I remember just, it was addictive. Like I remember like, I think my second or third week in the semester I was like something's changed in my life. I, I was I just could not wait for that Saturday morning where it was like I just get past everything because I didn't because like, I didn't have a computer at home. I would just sit and think and imagine and like, all right, cool, I got twelve hours to get in, I wanna rig this character and I wanna I wanna test it. And then next week I wanna start mm-hmm. animating. And it's the first time I honestly have ever had that that kind of like emotion happened. And it, it, it took maybe like four or five weeks. And then it was like, man, I want to have to break the news to my family that I'm not, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> something's changed. Something is different. I'm, I'm going to have to change my plans. Um, but yeah, it definitely was like very, very specific around that that time.
0: Yeah. How was your, how did your family react to that? It was,
1: um, it was challenging. It was, uh, really? uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, the thing is like, my parents are super supportive. They're awesome. My parents are actually really young. Um, but I think it was just kind of a shock. It was almost like, like to go from knowing that you have everything kind of planned out and it's smooth sailing and you know, like I was never dissatisfied with my career, but then for, to just have this one moment where it's like, Hey, um, I'm getting ready to transfer to the other school that I need to go to, to finish up my four years. And I'm not doing that. And I think I want to go to a school in the city and I think it's going to be for art It kind of came like there were just all those questions like, wait, what's going on? Why is this happening? Like, wait, are you going to be poor for the rest of your life? Like (laughs) what? You know, like, do we We thought we were going to be able to have you move out in the next two years? Does this mean that you're going to be living in the basement the rest of the time? (laughs) Um, But I mean, it was an exciting time, like I said, because it was kind of like we were right on the cusp of like. Computer animation being a thing, you know, like, and and, like, I I think this is like, it's awesome. I get to date myself. It was um, pre 2000, (laughs) pre 2001 when I was in, in college, So it was kind of like you know, like Jurassic Park had come out, and and Toy Story was a thing. And and, the best thing that happened to me, I got super lucky. Like my dad was like, "Cool, he's like, go out and do some research and tell me if you can even make a living doing this." And for whatever reason, like back when like I don't know if Time and Newsweek are still even magazines, but every every summer they would have a like top top ten industries, you know, for the next ten years. And I was able to like come back like two days later. I was like, "Hey, look, this magazine says computer animation is number one." hottest industry and this one says uh-huh. it's number two so i like yeah. i somehow had this like just wicked timing of be like yeah let, let's do it let's figure out if we can you know make it happen so yeah I, I pretty quickly convinced him and they you know like my dad's one of the biggest movie lovers i've probably ever met so he was i think secretly he was kind of stoked like <laughs> everything yeah. in the back of his mind he's like oh this would be cool maybe my kid will be a director one day um so yeah it definitely definitely some discomfort at the beginning because it was a wild
0: change but uh did you have like big plans, big aspirations at that point? Or were you just like, man, I, I know I love, you know, messing around with this stuff. Maybe I can make a living. Or were you like, I want to I direct features or man, did, I, like, did you have a master plan?
1: My, I, I, it was hard to have a master plan back then because like I, I was super stoked when I got to the school. It was really cool. It was, it was kind of diving in the deep end because you're, you're jumping in with a bunch of other people have been doing it for two years, you know, and I had never, you know, like I said, like barely touched a computer, but super excited. Um, but our biggest problem was like, we didn't have any examples of like people who had made it, you know, like, like Mm, I kept on asking everybody who'd been there. I'm like, so, so what, who do you know that got out and then they're working? Like our biggest thing was like, all I wanted to see was a demo reel of somebody. Like I remember my first week, I just kept on asking every teacher, every other student, like going to the deans, like, can I just see like the demo reels of the people who are working? So I know what to like aim for. Um, Oh Yeah. And and nobody, there was, there were none. Like the big thing was we were were all trying to do 2D animation actually, my first like semester or two. And me and two of my buddies, I have two friends that are still working in the industry that graduated with me. And we both like kind of came to the realization at the same time, like we're going to have to do 3D, you know, like not, not, not 2D, not hand drawn. Everybody wanted to get to Disney, you know, or Pixar, but it was really like hand drawn was our big thing. And we're like, can't do it we we want to work like our our biggest thing was like we we didn't care where it was we just wanted to be animating like we just wanted to do character animation um so so pretty quickly on it was just like i think there was such like you were saying there's it's so daunting the big challenge was just trying to learn enough to know you could do it and like build up that confidence and uh that that was it in school it was just like i just need to observe like for me it was just catch up like i gotta catch up like i gotta i gotta see what all these other people have been learning and
0: try to, try to like top them, you know, in, in half the time. So how did you make that transition from school to work then?
1: Um, I, I, I can't believe this. this is actually really funny. I just moved and I'm literally staring at my first demo reel, which it, it, it wasn't planned <laughs> at all, but I, it, it's a VHS tape, which I don't even know how I'd ever play it.
0: Are you serious? I, I'm literally, holding it in my,
1: I'm holding it in my hand and I was not <laughs> planning it, but it's kind of funny. Um, I, I got, I, I don't know if it was lucky or what, but I, I was pretty obsessed. So, um, I think within my first two weeks of graduating, I, I had a couple interviews, and I, it was a really, it was a really decisive point for me because I, I had an offer to work at a video game company, that I think is still open around Chicago. It's like one of the last ones. And then I had oh a, wow yeah it, it, this company called High Voltage. I interviewed like twice with them, like once when I was still in school, and then once like the like week after I graduated, and. Um, Super great interview. It was like the first time I had interviewed in the industry. It was like three hours long, um, and then wow. I and then I was supposed to come back two days later to talk to like the like make the final decision, and then in between I had gotten a call from this tiny little company called Motion Picture Studios, um, and they were doing direct to video um, kids animation,
0: and I was like oh, totally cool. stoked.
1: I was like I'm getting this job. I'm going to work you know at this at this video game company. I'm just going to go back and kind of like figure out which department I'm going to work in, and then I met these guys. It was like it was, I think it was like eight or 10 people and they were doing like, um, I don't know if you remember back in the VeggieTales. Oh yeah. So it, it wasn't those guys, but the guy who owned the company had come from VeggieTales. He was like a producer there and he had kind of, I don't know what happened, but he'd gotten a contract and we were basically doing like, um, like a CG Winnie the Pooh almost like, Propri- like our own characters, but it wasn't. It wasn't just you know like vegetables and 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 like it wasn't a tomato and a, a cucumber. It was like actual characters, arms, legs, faces. Um, and within like five minutes of walking into this place, I was like, this this is my home. I wanted to work there so bad. It was just like the second floor. I can't remember. I think we had like a pizza parlor. Or a Mexa, <laughs> a, like a taco joint below us, and you'd walk up the stairs on the side, and then, but it was just a bunch of people who had just graduated, and this one guy who 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 kind of launched it, and um, I went back to the video game company, and I was kind of like flipping back and forth, and I very specifically remember like they told me I interviewed for another hour, they told me I had the job, and I'm like great, uh, I'm like so what are we gonna animate in? Are we gonna animate in Max? Or are we gonna animate in Maya? Like what game? What game am I gonna be on? And they're like oh no, we didn't tell you like. We have a motion capture studio across the street. We want you to work at the motion capture studio. And my, my <laughs> wow. and my heart just sunk, like just immediately. Wow, yeah. Because I, I, I just wanted to do character animation. I wanted to do performance. I wanted to be around other people that were like learning. Um, and I, I went back to the, the other studio. I'm like, when, when can I start? And I, I really specifically remember like I, I told all my friends and I was going back and forth. I think I ended up taking the Motion Picture Studios job and it was like for $10,000 a year less than the video game company. And everybody thought I was completely nuts, like insane. <laughs> but it, for me, it was like a no-brainer. It was like, I, I'm, yeah. I'm going to do animation. I'm not going to do motion capture. I'm not going to clean up data. I'm not going to, like, I want to animate. Um, so yeah, so it was, it was a pretty pretty smooth transition out of school. Um, and then I, I worked there for like about a year. And and to be honest, like, it was probably the best time I've had in my career all time. Like I'm still friends wow. with, uh, I think I, I'm pretty good friends with almost every single person that, that still work there. Um, that some of my best friends actually, um, hmm. were all there. And I, I, I say, I've said it so many times to my other friends, like, I feel like I'm going to spend my entire career chasing my first, first job because it was that, that enjoyable, that good of relationships. We learned so much. We fought together. um, we, we we actually you know shipped a couple things that nobody thought was gonna be possible at the time you know stuff nobody will ever see but I, I feel like every other job I go to I'm trying to recreate that that year that I
0: had there yeah does is that entirely like people based like what makes that that environment like what are the key elements to that for me yeah it, it definitely was people based
1: like we just had this right mix of of people at the right time in their careers the right amount of struggle um, just the right amount of autonomy. Um, to get our jobs done um, with with uh, just enough direction, you know, like it wasn't just like go and make something and have fun, um, but we definitely it, it was it was a struggle, you know, like we, we were constantly, you know, dealing with hardware issues, software issues. Um, we we were working one week and our, our air conditioning popped, and we were all working like you know it was like ninety five degrees in the in the uh, the office, and like one by one each person's power power backup kind of like would, would turn off. Um, you know, like, of course, like the week of deadline, it was like, it was just this perfect kind of momentum of like, just the people, the, the challenge. Um, and then the fact that we actually completed something, you know, like despite everything, nobody thought we'd be able to, um, it just felt like, it felt like I'm, I'm a big hockey fan and, um, it felt like watching a really young team that doesn't even know the challenges they're dealing with. Um, when you mm. see a, when you see a young hockey team and you see them playing and it just looks like they're having fun. And from the outside, the whole world is like, it's impossible that, that you should be able to be doing this right now with how young you are and how inexperienced, but it, it, it there's just something about that, that team or that group or that personality um, being able to succeed in adversity without even realizing how big the, the, the struggle is. Um,
0: that, that was addicting for me. I really, really loved it. Mm. So I, I know that you, you then transitioned to like maybe a little bit of a flux state before you ended up at imaginary forces. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I, I, it's funny. I, um, I, I've done a lot of jobs, um, related to animation for things that I'm not, not all that into. Like, um. I I worked at a slot machine company for for seven years. <laughs> no way. Yeah, and I don't gamble. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I worked at the Chicago Board of Trade um, for a year and a half, like producing and editing and doing motion graphics there. And I don't I don't like big money or stock trading or any of that stuff at all. Yeah. Um, I actually one of the things I did when I first moved to LA for a short amount of time was I actually shot yoga videos, like shot edited. Yeah. Yeah. And I definitely don't do yoga. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, but the the crazy thing is about like every single one of those things, like I definitely picked something up that, um, kind of like we were talking earlier, the science background that, um, I still think like helps me day to day. Um, when I was working at the slot machine company, we, um, we actually hired a lot of animators from Disney when Disney used to have a Florida studio, a 2d studio. Um, I was right at the end, and they had shut it down, and I, I knew a couple people online, and I was able to get, um, I think, four or five people from from either either Disney or a couple other studios when, like, 2D was kind of imploding. Um, and I ended up learning from them so much for, like, two or three years. Got to just watch them work, help them transition from, you know, like, these guys were literally still drawing on paper and then scanning you know, and helping them transition to flash or to after effects. um, There's this great, just like exchange of knowledge, you know, like when I would help them learn the technical, I'd I'd sit and watch them work. Or like I had a guy um, during lunch every single day, he would sit and come and teach me flash after he had spent a year learning it. So I just had this, like this, like as weird as it was, I felt like I was like Keanu Reeves in uh, like Neo in the matrix, like every <laughs>
0: <laughs> getting your knowledge injection uh, injections. Yeah.
1: Like every two or three, three months I felt like I'd get a new, just like download from someone else. And I, I started getting really addicted to, to learning and like surrounding myself with, with people way better than me and not being intimidated, but just being like, wow, this is if I can find anything, a little, little drop that I can offer them, you know, when they yeah. need it, like the amount that I get back is so huge um, so yeah, so like mm. I learned I learned cleanup from a guy who worked on Tiny Toons. I learned um some amazing character stuff from a guy who worked with Don Bluth. He worked on like Anastasia and Titan AE. Um, so just just great lessons, you know, in a situation that, you know, like otherwise I probably would have been pretty bummed that I was making
0: slot machines. Wow. That's so cool though, that you you were able to kind of get that that kind of Disney like perspective too, from, from some people who, who had worked in that. Do you feel like that influences your, I mean, I guess you just said that you did, like you learned a lot and it, I'm sure it does influence your work today. Oh
1: yeah, definitely. I mean, even like literally up till like right now, like, uh, for, for my, uh, animalators, I decided, um, that I really wanted to get back into 2d, like hand-drawn stuff. And I actually, yeah. I'm, I actually have a handbook for my buddy. Um, his name's Mike Feeney. He worked at at uh, the studio in Chicago that did Tiny Toons and Animaniacs and a bunch of the cool old like WB um, refresh of Looney Tunes. And I've still yeah. still got his animate. I'm looking at it right now. He still has his his Animation One Bible from the studio that, that <laughs> I still I still open it up when I'm when I'm doing a walk cycle and I just can't figure out you know, like especially when I'm doing hand drawn I can't figure out what I'm missing like I I always go
0: back to his notes. That's awesome. Yeah. Or that, uh, we've got a bunch of copies of the Richard Williams, mm-hmm. uh, animation survival H- handbook. Is it similar to that?
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. That thing. Yeah. Have you, have you seen the, um, the iPad, the, the, um, the ebook version of it?
0: I have, I haven't downloaded it yet though. Is it, is it like worth it to do even if you've got a physical copy? Dude,
1: I would, I would I'd honestly say throw away the physical copy and, or give it, give it, <laughs> give it to, a, uh, somebody who's just starting out with animation because not, it's the whole book, but then, yeah. um, you know, seeing this stuff, like being able to flip it. I mean, the number one thing that'd be amazing is if you could actually get the frames and you could flip yeah. them through your fingers and actually, you know, feel the movement. Um, but they've got so many, so many of the lessons. They'll just have little quick clips that you can frame through or that you can animate through at half speed, I think, or play it at full speed and ping pong it. Um, it it's, I think, it's invaluable. I, it, it's amazing. Yeah. Like, I, I was thinking about stuff to talk about last week, and that's one of the things that. um blows me away like i I think we have so many more amazing young animators now just because of technology like just because everybody can look at everybody else's work you can break it down you can compare it you can trace it you can frame through it like i i really remember i remember when the tarzan movie came out on dvd and being so stoked because a buddy of mine, one of the guys I was going to school with, his dad had a really great like audio video setup. And his blue or his DVD player didn't just have like a frame forward or backwards button, but it had like a jog shuttle, like an old school like dial. And you could yeah. literally lock it into different frame rates. And it was just a revelation to watch, you know, like Glenn Keane has this giant scene where Tarzan kind of like surfs and rollerblades through the the, the jungle. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. I, it's amazing. I, I'm not kidding. We, we bought that DVD. I ran over to his place and I think we watched, <laughs> we watched it for like four hours because we'd wow. watch the whole movie. Then we'd watch the documentary or like, you know, like the commentary. And then we'd go back and like pick. There's like three scenes in that movie that we would just literally just sit there and frame by frame. And not even like draw or anything, just like absorb it. And it was such a big deal. And it was, you know, it was hard to get your hands on stuff like that. And now it's just like, it's an overload. There's too much stuff. Like there's people who've made their name in the industry just because they're amazing curators of all the stuff that's out there. So.
0: No, yeah. And and like you said, like now we can just go on Vimeo and frame by frame all day and not... Like even hit the tip of the iceberg. It's, yeah. it's amazing.
1: Yeah, I I live my life in such a weird speed on the internet. Like I listen to podcasts and tutorials at like double or triple speed, and then I watch animation at like half speed or quarter speed. <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> but I'm never living anything at like one x <laughs> speed. <laughs>
0: So how, how did you make that transition and, and get um, – land kind of a full-time gig at Imaginary Forces?
1: Well, I, for me, man, there are there like three places in my life that I, I've always wanted to work at. And thankfully, I've kind of worked at all of them in some form. Maybe not in the exact form I wanted to, but I've always wanted to work at Blur. I've always wanted to work at Disney – and imaginary forces was always at the top of my list, you know. From because wow. I mean, uh, movies and and cartoons and video games are always like the three and comic books were the three or four big things. But man, like if you love movies at all, you may not know that you love imaginary forces, but you definitely yeah. do. You know, it, it they have yeah. they have affected you or touched your experience of going to see a movie in some way without you knowing it, probably. Um, but I, when I came out here, you know, I was doing a bunch of different things, um, and I had a friend of a friend of someone that I went to school with. That uh, knew I was out here. And and this is why I keep on telling people all the time. I tell my students, if I get emails from people asking how to break into the industry, my number one thing isn't, you know, like go and buy Tim Clapham's, you know, Cinema 4D training or go and watch all the video co-pilots' after effects tutorials. My number one thing is network. Like mm-hmm. network, like it, it it doesn't matter. Like like you could be amazing and you don't have the connections to get where you want to, or you could be just starting out and maybe have a ton of talent that's raw but you don't know how to get your work in front of people. And like we were just saying, there's so much stuff out there. How do you get your stuff to the people that will make the decision to give you, give you a break? And um, just, I, I got lucky. I had a friend of a friend. They knew that I was doing a lot of After Effects work kind of on the side and wasn't really stoked with what I was working on. And the thing out here is you have to be, I think anywhere, you have to be in the place. You have to have the work to prove you can do it, but you need to be able to know the people. And I just happened to know somebody that Imaginary Forces was super slammed on a ton of work um, they asked me if I could come in and I came in and I worked on like this very small project. It was like a tiny project for, um, one of the art directors there. It was like his, he had five or six projects going on at the same time. And, and this art director, his name's Brian Ma. He, uh, he actually has his own studio now called Al Um, he was so busy that I, I never actually met him physically I came in. Are you serious? I, yeah, I literally like I came in super stoked, starry eyed. I thought it was back when we were still in the Hollywood studio, um, and I got introduced. And I never actually even met any other artists. Imagine Forces at the time. <laughs> imaginary Forces at the time had two buildings separated by a courtyard, um, and we had. Like a bunch of artists on the second floor of the main building. And then we had another thing. We had the imaginary forest, which was actually like on the other side of the the courtyard, like behind these trees. And I literally like for my first two weeks got basically shook hands with the the coordinator, met my producer, and got walked upstairs like outside of imaginary forces. And I I spent like two weeks, I think, in the imaginary forest in a room by myself. And I was animating. I can't remember what it it was. I think it was a pitch for a a hefty commercial where they wanted it all like, um, like eight bit pixel stuff. Um, and I happened to, I happened to just have like one, one small little like eight bit animation on my really, really awful demo reel. Um, and that was the hook where uh, an art director is like, okay, cool. I need this look. This guy's done something like it before. Um, and I got like a phone call and two emails with like, here's the pitch book. Here's the um, the RFP. I need you to animate this. Can you get it done? So like for two weeks I did it. And I just kept on coming back um, on, on those kind of like um, almost like emergency room. Like, like oh, sh- we have a 911 job. Who can we get? <laughs> you know, and, and it was like that. I honestly did that for like six months. For six months I worked – in the forest, I actually got put in the kitchen, um, because there were no room for new computers. So they actually put me on a, on a desk in the kitchen. Um, I worked in, I think the human resources person's office, but for, I think like the first six months, uh, I have had these really big pods like groups of of artists and they're, they're kind of like based around the different art directors. Um, so there was one room filled with like vinyl toys with this one art director grant and he had his kind of crew of freelancers. There's another room. Um, and, and I was just like mesmerized man like I, I was just so stoked but like for the first six months I never even i never even like talked or met or hung out with another artist it was crazy <laughs> um, but it was it was super fun man like just to be in that building to be in that room like I, I remember being so stoked like I, I ended up taking like a picture every day of um, all the different like frames of, of boards or, or material that they had and like I remember walking in and I got sat down I think like fairly early on and I was working directly under, underneath um, it was Kyle Cooper's frames for mimic. They, they had framed these really beautiful like um, pieces of stuff that they had like physically made that they shot. Um, oh and then, wow. Yeah. And then after that I was like, oh man, I got to find out what other, what other stuff they have here. Like I, I imagine it'd be like the same thing. Like if you worked at ILM for the first time and you're just like, oh, I got to take a picture of this X-Wing <laughs> and there's Han Solo and Carbonite, but kind of like, yeah. kind of like the movie type um, opening credits nerd version of that. So yeah, it yeah. was, it was like going through a museum at the time. It was
0: awesome. I, I, I want to keep going on, on imaginary forces, but I, I, I do want to jump back and talk a little bit about, about networking. You, you kind of mm-hmm. mentioned that and, and how important that is. And I, I completely agree. Um, but man, I, I, like you said, I think that can be super challenging, especially, um, you know, I think a lot of us creative types can be, you know, a bit introverted. It can be a bit, daunting and, and, and uncomfortable, especially when um, maybe you lack confidence in your abilities or, or maybe think like, ah, not yet. Like, I'm, I'm not good enough yet. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Could you maybe talk about that and talk about maybe overcoming some of those own fears yourself?
1: Oh, yeah. Maybe it sounds like hyperbole to say it, but I honestly feel like one of the main reasons I'm, I'm where I'm at in my career is because of Twitter. Um, it hmm. sounds silly to say it but like I didn't know anybody in the industry at all when I was in Chicago one of the main yeah. reasons why I left um, Chicago was that it just didn't feel like there was an industry um, like I, I I've since been become friends with Nick Campbell uh, Grace Gorilla. but yeah but when I when I was in Chicago right before I left I, I actually went to one of the meetups that him and um, some of the the grayscale gorilla guys were trying to start up, and it was kind of like the bellwether that I needed to leave because I was super stoked. I'd found I didn't even know about the site. I'd found out about it from someone else, and they were they were having it in a school that was right down the street from where I was working. And I'm stoked. I'm like, oh man, I'm finally gonna meet some people doing motion graphics. Like this would be awesome. And I walked in, and there were like five people. <laughs> and that was it. And I was just like, I don't know what I had in my head, but I was like, this is this is not going to work. Like, I'm, yeah. I, it's not, I, I got to go somewhere else. Uh, the crazy thing is that since then, I've been back to Chicago. Like, I just went to, um, I forgot the name of their, they put on a little conference. Um, it's not even that little anymore. But uh, the Grayscale girl guys put something on, I think it's like every year in the fall. Half Res? Yes, Half Res, yes. Yeah. So I went to Half Res this last, last fall. because I was going back home and I'm like, oh man, I should tie it around this. I went there. And we literally walk into a bar and it felt like there must've been four or 500 people there.
0: What? And it was, it
1: it, it blew my mind. Like it's in a bar, but the bar actually is like a music venue and there's a stage and it's just, I'm like, where did that in five years, where did all these people come from? Like, this is, this is amazing. Like we, and they're flying in people. Like there's this awesome dude called Mike, the monkey. Um, and he came in and did like a tutorial from, from, um, I think he came from New York. And I'm just like, I had to leave Chicago and then immediately like the, the scene and the like kind of culture that I always wanted, all of a sudden it's here, which is great. Um, And I found, I found that that's happening more and more places. And I think part of it is just because of the networking. Um, So like to get back to that, like for me, I actually, I met so many people um, like I'm getting ready to go to Seagraph and do a talk next week. And, and NAB and Seagraph, whenever I went before kind of like actively trying to network and, and, you know be a part of twitter and be a part of these different kind of like places you can go it was a very empty very lonely um very kind of like polarizing place because i'd see all these people who knew each other and they talked to each other and and they probably had worked with each other and i didn't know anyone you know like i remember going and walking past the Maxon on booth and seeing people hanging out and like going to to like talks and I'm like i don't know anyone here at, at all and it was almost to the point where it's like you know, I was in Vegas first time that I'd kind of gone for for motion graphics on my own, and I almost wanted to just leave. It was that that frustrating. It's just like, and and I knew that like I needed to do something about that. Like I needed to find a way to be, you know, introduce myself not just in a kind of like fanboy shaking their hand you know, like a super excited way, but like as somebody that's kind of a, an equal or somebody that has value. Um and I really pushed, I really made a big deal on, on, on Twitter that I was going to try to introduce myself to as many people as possible. So at the time by the time I went back the next year, I would know some people. Um yeah. and honestly like the first year I went to it's probably five years ago now. First year I went to NAB after making that decision, um, it was transformative for me. Like all of a sudden mm-hmm. I went from not even being able to approach people um, for whatever reason—fear or not feeling like I had anything to say or not feeling like I had any value—to um, being like, "Oh man, I—I I think you're this guy on Twitter, aren't you?" And somebody like, "Yeah," <laughs> and you talk for like a minute or two, and then the moment they would say, "Like, wait, who are you?" Um, and then I, uh, the big thing I did was like I started putting my Twitter handle and my, my icon on my badges anytime I go to a conference. Oh um, uh, yeah. That that moment you go from being a stranger to realizing that you've been friends in quotes for like three or four mm-hmm. years. It, yeah, it, it yeah, happened yeah. so many times that first trip that I was like, "Wow, I got to keep doing this so that when I move to, to LA, like I'll have that same experience." Um, and, and honestly, it, it made a big difference. I, it's very daunting to try to jump into Twitter or even like yeah. the Slack channel for motion graphics. There's there's so many venues now um, to do stuff, but man, like I just got just got hired to do 2D hand drawn animation because of some stuff that I put on my Instagram, Wow. like three years ago, four years ago, five years ago. Like that never whatever happened. Like it's, it's amazing what you can do. And it's one of the first things I tell every one of my students in MoGraph mentor is to, to get on Twitter, get on Instagram, get on places where you can just meet other people and provide value. Like it, it, it sounds kind of like a buzzword, but like if you don't believe in your work, at least like find people and start asking questions. Um, and and provide like open yourself up to answer other people's questions. Um, I have a student right now, this guy Taylor, that um, he's doing one a days on on Instagram, and then he's on Slack, and he's he's on Twitter answering people's questions for anything you might answer. And his kind of like profile has raised. Like I've seen him interacting with more people that I know. Um, I don't know if it's going to get him another job or if it's going to get push him further, but at least he's part of like a community where people can kind of make that first handshake
0: for you, make that first introduction for you. So yeah, for me, yeah. it's uh it helped me out so much. Yeah, man, I, I, I completely agree. Uh, also, another thing I want to talk about—you just mentioned that you you have been teaching at, at MoGraph Mentor—and then by by the time this is out, we we we've will have had um, Michael Jones uh, episode out, the the founder of MoGraph Mentor. Um, so so definitely go go back and check that out. But but I understand that that's something that you you really enjoy, and and teaching's been been a big part of your career. Um, up until this point, could you maybe a little talk a little bit about um, why you enjoy teaching and, and why why MoGraph Mentor is, has been such a great experience?
1: Yeah, uh, MoGraph Mentor—that's another example. Of, you know, networking. Like I, I saw this guy posting um, right about the time I was getting ready to go to freelance, posting all these great blog posts, just short, little, quick, little bite-sized things um, about you know like tools for for freelancing you know, or the you know top yeah. three mistakes that a freelancer makes in their first year. Um, and I eventually I, I reached out to the guy, and uh, I didn't know at the time that he was actually either started mogriff mentor or was getting ready to start it um and built a pretty cool you know relationship and uh started teaching. It was great. Um, but teaching has actually been something I've been doing pretty much almost my entire career. Um, I think like even after my first year of, uh, working like graduating, I went back to school and one of my best, one of my mentors, one of the great experiences I've ever had in my life, this guy, Patrick Welch was my storyboarding teacher a character design teacher. Um, he was also teaching portfolio and I just happened to be in town. I stopped by and I literally walk up to his desk and I can't even see his face because he's got like (laughs) 25 students worth of portfolios. Um, and he's just literally, literally and figuratively buried underneath it. And I'm like, man, I'm like, I'll help you, I'll help you go through all these if you want. I'm like, I just, you know, know, I graduated, I just got a job. Like, I kind of feel like I, I know, you know, what it takes to get a job, at least in Chicago. Um, and for like the next 18 months, every Saturday I'd go for four hours with Patrick and we would just. Help people go through their portfolios, give them assignments, evaluate their stuff, help them put their books together, and then help them practice kind of like their pitch. You know, when they when they get ready to start interviewing, and um, I really enjoyed it. It was really great. It, it 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 helped me too because it helped me really realize like the importance of um, managing your reputation and managing your perception. You know, like it's one thing to do a bunch of work; it's another thing to present it in a way that you know gets your message across. So it, it definitely helped me. But I just found I really liked. You know, being able to take anything that I might have learned and find a way to give it back to somebody else. So, I did that for like a year and a half, and then eventually I ended up teaching at Columbia, doing uh, teaching animation for a couple years, and then. Oh uh, wow. Yeah, and then I took a, I was doing that in Chicago, and then I took a break when I moved out here to kind of focus on just kind of re relearning a lot of stuff here, and then it kind of came back. Like I think it's almost been two years now since we've been doing MoGraph Mentor.
0: Very cool. So your time at, at Imaginary Forces, um, you, you've gotten to work on on quite a few things, so quite a few really cool things. Um, Pacific Rim titles, Person of Interest titles, some stuff for Elder Scrolls Online. But uh, one thing that I, I happened to come across on, on your website when I was kind of prepping uh, to do this episode Um, you did some work with imaginary forces for, uh, I think there's a show called Helix and (laughs) and in in your little bio, it says like, ask me about, uh, ask me about this one. So here I am asking you about this one.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Um, yeah, it was a great, it ended up being a pretty cool title. The show was pretty fun. Um, but it's, it, I guess the lesson behind it is it's one of those great, great things where you have to learn like where ambition and reality kind of, uh, merge together and where, where to kind of reign in ambition sometimes. Um, and yeah. where, where not to, um, yeah. So, um, at imaginary forces, you know, I came in and I was just a guy that knew after effects and, uh, I, I just kind of kept on getting called back for, like I was saying, for kind of emergency jobs. And I had spent six or seven years doing 3d studio max and doing 3d, like I knew character rigging. I've done a ton of animation. I've done full kind of like cinematics, you know, with max, but I, no one in LA was using it. So I never even like touted the fact that I knew 3d and behind the scenes, I was kind of trying to learn cinema at the time. Like the, I was talking about Nick Campbell, like there's a little bit more awareness of cinema. There's people doing tutorials. The, the industry's kind of kind of coalescing around it. So I'm in the background, you know, when I go home, trying to learn it as fast as I can. Um, and, there were a couple gigs where I was able to do some cinema stuff and eventually at imaginary forces, I kind of got my, my name at imaginary forces kind of got known as being kind of like a, a problem solver, you know, like if there's something wrong, there's something wrong on the, on the render farm, you know, like eventually somehow it would get, make my, make its way to me and I'd fix it. Or if there was an animator on another um, art director's job that something wasn't working in cinema, you know, I'd take some time and I'd go and help them, you know, figure it out or or troubleshoot it. Um, So eventually I was able to kind of like get put in the position that I could direct a couple of things, and most of the time it was because, be- besides the the troubleshooting and the problem solving, I was also kind of a little bit like the resident nerd at Imaginary Forces. <laughs> um, nice. For for some reason, you know, like Imaginary Forces is an amazing place to be. Like like the the level. Of design knowledge across the board from the art directors, there is, is unparalleled. Like, I, I honestly yeah. think that, like, there's probably two or three other shops in the world that have the history and the experience and the knowledge of, of just design in general. Yeah. Uh, and th- that shows in their work, you know, like, they're, they're not technically flashy they're not character animation driven um i wouldn't say that they look or feel like anything like buck or gentleman scholars work or no know, yeah you know like but they they definitely are incredibly filmic and incredibly design-backed um, and i recognized early on that that might be a chance for me to kind of like find a way to get more trust was be technical and be kind of nerdy um, so for whatever reason, uh, for whatever reason, sooner or later, I, you know, like I had my own little little desk, so I would bring books in. And again, talking about perception, like I made sure, like the stuff I brought in was stuff that people would recognize as something different than what the rest of the company kind of offered. So I had a lot of comic books, a lot of video game stuff. Um, and eventually, we'd get these pitches for for you know stuff that that they're like, you know what, um, we're not going to have you do boards, we're not going to have you pitch on it, but we need you in the room because no one here knows who the heck Green Lantern is. Can you just? <laughs> and, and it was amazing. Like I, don't, it was so so much fun because I would go in and I would watch, you know, like people like Karen Fong pitch, or I would watch yeah. the owners go in, you know, like Peter and Chip talk to um, Netflix or talk to wow. Hulu, and I would just sit back and literally just soak it in, and then occasionally be like, oh yeah, and then you know, Ryan here. He knows a lot about, uh, you know, Green Lantern. Ryan, tell him a little <laughs> bit about Green Lantern. And it was almost like it was just like the nerd card, and I was happy to do it, you know. Yeah. But eventually, there were some jobs where, you know, like, when you're at a big shop like that or any shop, you know, jobs come in and budgets don't make sense or turnarounds don't make sense or you know, like everyone's busy. Um, but occasionally there'd be jobs that would come in that would be really cool, um, but it just wouldn't fit for anybody. And again, eventually somehow they'd kind of make their way to my desk, and I would literally like I felt like they were. These opportunities were in the hallway running away from me, and I would have, like metaphorically have to be running, chasing after them. Like, hey, <laughs> hey, like, don't leave the door yet, please. Like, There's someone here yeah. who can do this. Um, so I would end up getting jobs like this, and Helix was one of them. It was um, the guy who did Battlestar Galactica, um, Ronald D. Moore, was helping pitch the show with two X-Files creators. Um, wow. And it was basically um, – do you remember the John Carpenter movie, The Thing? Uh, yeah, yeah. So it was basically like kind of like that. Like it's a bunch of scientists in a base in um, so, somewhere where you know somewhere it's super cold and freezing, and it kind of just goes at that. Um, and I was super stoked about it. So um, I was able to kind of like pitch an idea, or put together a pitch, walk into the room, and uh, before anybody comes in, I'm literally like in the writers' room, right? Like the nerve center of yeah. the, this team, and the show hasn't come out yet. I don't know anything about it, but every <laughs> every every wall. Is literally whiteboard, floor to floor to ceiling, and each each you know four walls is one of the seasons, like season one, season two, season three, and I'm reading it as fast as I can to see if I can get some kind of advantage when I'm talking to these guys. Yeah, and I I, the, I see like the kind of like plot line and the the kind of big like uh, cliffhanger for season one, and I decide I'm gonna throw my pitch away literally, like I have my pitch book, <laughs> and I throw my pitch book away and I pitch them this idea. Based on this cliffhanger, I'm like, look, um, what if every single one of our episodes had a totally different title sequence? <laughs> totally different title sequence. And i it's amazing. It's, I can literally imagine in my head. I'm in the room with my EP and with the, the showrunner. And I see the showrunner. It's almost like a, a 50-50 scale, like a teeter-totter. Like I'm seeing the showrunner get more and more excited. In his yeah. face, and I, yeah. I'm seeing the same amount of excitement, but the opposite direction of <laughs> fear and dread on my EP side. But like every time I'm like, I'm just gonna try to get this guy as excited as I can on the pitch, and he's stoked. He gets on the yeah. phone and he calls other people, and as he walks away, my producer's like, What did you just do? <laughs> <laughs> um, so it, it ended up being really cool. So basically, the idea was that um, we took the word helix and we we're gonna do a typographic study of the word helix through all the various forms of communication across the history of man. Because the show had this tweak at the end, this little thing that there was a reveal, and I won't say it unless anybody watches the show. But the reveal basically (laughs) it it, it made you realize that spoilers coming. Yes, yeah, it made you realize that there was more to the show than what they were planning at, and that every season. Was gonna have a different kind of theme, and you didn't know that until the yeah. end of the first yeah. episode. So the idea okay. was that we were gonna have this kind of like breadcrumb trail from the title sequence. Then when you mm. watch it, you have no idea like why is the word helix carved in bone, or why is the word helix on little like old timey steampunk um, typewriter keys, <laughs> you know, and all this stuff. And I and like we pitched it on the spot, and we leave. The guy's super stoked. He's like, "Great!" He's like, "The budget's like something ridiculous. Like it's not even enough to do one of them." Um, and my EP's like, "All right, good luck, buddy. Now we have to do it." <laughs> <No>. <laughs> so, so yeah. So it was it was a crazy experience. So we, actually, it was super fun because we got to do. I love doing these like little gorilla operations, where you do a lot of stuff that normally you couldn't if you had the big infrastructure around you. Like at a big shop like that, there's, you know, you have to be aware of things like overhead. You have to be aware of yeah. day rates for people. So I was like, well, what if I take all the, like we had an intern that was really great at, at, cinematography. He was a great photographer and I'd seen his stuff on, on, I think like Flickr. I was like, and there's another guy here that that's just like a PA, but I know he's a good editor. And I was like, yeah. what if I take, Give me one designer. So me and the designer will design all the frames. I'm like, and then let's get these other two guys that come at basically no cost. Um, and we, we actually shot, it was a 12-episode season, I think. And I think we actually completed 10 of them under budget and on time. And then, wow. we, and then we got the phone call from the guys at the show. And the thing you don't realize about TV shows from the outside is that you have to deal with so many entities. Like you deal, mm, with, yeah. you deal with the showrunner. And then you have to deal with the show creator if they're separate. So those two were separate people. Thankfully, both those people were on our side. Um, but then you also have to deal with the company, the production company that put up all the money. Um, so for us, that was actually, if I remember correctly, Sony. So Sony actually was making the show for this show creator from from Battlestar Galactica, but with these X-Files guys making it. So we already have run up the ladder three people. And thankfully, we're already in production. We're doing this as fast as we can for like no money. Um, and everybody likes it. And then all of a sudden we start seeing ads for Helix. This is two weeks before the show comes on air. <laughs> and there's all these crazy ads, but they look nothing like our opening titles. And a oh, week man. before yeah. A week before the show a week before the show goes on air, we have ten. We're gonna work on the last two, you know, coming on the weekend on our own time to just do it because we believe in it. We want it to look awesome. Yeah. And we get the call like Friday before the show's gonna air, like the week before, that they're like, hey, <laughs> um, Sci-fi, the channel that's actually paying for all the advertising that the show is gonna be on, cannot stand the idea and is scared to death of it. Um, so we need to get on the phone. So we actually got on the phone, we got on the phone with everybody involved, the X Files guys, Battlestar Galactica guy, the, the Sony guys. And we're like, here's the reason why we think it's going to be amazing. We think it's going to create buzz. We think it's going to be like 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 it's going to be an element like lost where people are going to get online and they're going to talk about all these like why is this here and what does this mean and <laughs> yeah. everybody's stoked about it, right? And then sci-fi's like, "No. They just literally shut it down." What? They're just like, "No." And I totally understand why because they were totally scared that it would turn off a viewer because it was for their viewers, for the people watching, it be it wouldn't fit the mm. the user profile they have. Which I Yeah. As frustrated as I am, I get it. But that's the problem with, like, it's so hard. So essentially, this thing that you see now, we animated, I think, in, like, three days, me and another animator. And the only thing... And, and it's the most typical, like, it, it's fine, it's in line with their branding, but it, it's, yeah. it's really a tech slam, right? Like, and the only yeah. thing that I was able to get them to let us do was that there's that single little drip of oil at the end. Like, they, it wasn't in <laughs> the plan, like, I just animated or had the animated camera who did it, and then we're just like, we fought for that. And they finally like, okay, wow. that's our concession we'll give you. You can have your drip of oil, but this is it. So yeah, it's just like, it's that moment where it's like, as ambitious and cool of an idea as it was really honestly like that was probably not the job to be that ambitious on
0: yeah no is i mean is that something that you carry with you now into every project that oh, yeah. that concept of ambitions versus reality cuz it's so easy right to yeah. to dream up these crazy awesome things um yeah but they might not be doable or right for the job or and that's a hard thing to balance
1: yeah i totally agree like that's the um that's the hardest thing it's like i feel like i don't know about you but i don't know how many jobs I think part of the job, at least for us, is trying to reconcile the fact that what you see in your head when you get the request or when you get the idea or someone you know, gives you the assignment on your desk, what you see in your head, our job is to get as close as you can to that without jeopardizing the budget, without jeopardizing the relationship, um, without jeopardizing the schedule. Um, and I don't know about you, but I, very rarely do those two things ever feel like they really <laughs> line up. And part of, it, part of your, your job as an as a animator or as you grow and become an art director or creative director is like reconciling that and like picking, yeah. picking the job that you're going to fight for that initial idea and put the time in or put the effort in or fight for the right people or whatever you need. Um, but yeah, there's some jobs. It's, honestly, it's happened to us so many times, even when I've worked at Royale, where it's like you see the frames and you see the boards and you know the team you're going to build, you know the people you're going to work with. And then by the end, you're like, oh, man, that's like 75% there. We've worked so hard. <laughs> you know. And then sometimes there's a job where it just happens. like, yeah, It doesn't make any sense. Like There's some jobs where you're just like, I worked on this um, cinematic, an opening cinematic for a much larger cinematic that ended up not happening for this game called Strife. But um, I worked on it with a small team that was part of a much larger crew. And it just kind of everything fell into place by the end. And it was a lot of work. But when we finally all looked at it, we're like, wow, that's actually that's actually better than I think we thought it was going to be when we started it. Okay, cool. You know, like, and sometimes you can't explain it. Like it's just all the stars line up. So much of it is like just getting the right
0: people with the right amount of time. So I understand that you, um, have since left your, your kind of full-time gig at imaginary forces. And now you're full-time freelance, uh, working in LA and Chicago. Um, could you tell me just a little bit about where you're headed, like what you're what you're up to now and, and maybe what what's in your future?
1: Yeah. Um, so I you know, I left Imaginary forces after I think about four years being there. Um, and I f- mm. terrific, terrific place. I've learned so much. I can't even if you have a chance to work at a place like that or a place like SIOP or, you know, one of these larger studios where they have so much work going on and so many different people to learn from, I, I, I would highly suggest it but i, I kind of got to the point where i'd worked with all the directors i had my opportunities to actually direct um and i actually that job that i was just talking about the the cinematic for this game strife um i got to actually direct a larger team doing character animation and all my oh, wow yeah like all the stuff that i kind of started off doing you know it all kind of came flooding back i was like oh man i really really miss character animation yeah. you know both kind of conceiving it like character animation and just narrative in general um and and we just don't do a lot of that. We weren't doing a lot of that at imagining forces. And I probably pushed harder than the company's kind of DNA would actually accept to try to do more (laughs) of that. Um, it just, I, I was trying to, it's the, that square peg, like I was just pushing so hard and, and everything like technically, um, creatively logistically like we just weren't built for it and it just wasn't it wasn't the right kind of place um and i knew i wanted to do more of it and i know there's more and more of that stuff kind of becoming more and more available so one of the things i wanted to do is I, w- I wanted to move on and just just do more character animation the other thing was like imaginary forces was the first place and really the only place i've done motion graphics at and i knew very well how we did the jobs like i knew how we brought jobs in i knew how we we bid the jibs out the jobs out I knew how we kind of did pre-pro. I knew how to pitch, you know, all the IF style. Um, but I felt like there there must have been other ways and other, other methods. Like I, I was telling somebody, I was like, I remember, like, obviously I'm a comic book nerd, but I, I remember reading, you know, different Batman comic books where he's learning to become Batman. You know, like, like Bruce Wayne's like, all right, I'm going to do this, but for the next however many years... I'm going to go learn this technique here, and then I'm going to go to the best person mm. that does this, and I'm going to, you know, yeah. spend a year being a detective, and I'm going to spend a year, you know, learning, you know, Brazilian jujitsu. Uh, I kind of felt a little bit like you know, I had only done that one thing, and I wanted to go to different places, and and you know, like I, I want to go to you know, a place like Oddfellows and see how they do character animation. I want mm, to go to a place yeah. like Buck and see what their pipeline's like. I want to go to a place like Royale and see how they build culture. Um, so that, that was my, my reason for doing it. And that's kind of still where I'm at is that I, I, I really want to see how different people approach the same problems.
0: Love that. I love it. What are some things that you're, you're learning right now? Like specifically?
1: Oh, for, for me, man, I, it's that, that's the thing I love about this job is that it's, it's the number one thing is that it's always about learning. And and I, I remember, I had a really good lesson when I was working back at that slot machine company because I was working with amazing animators. But there was a huge hesitation by a lot of the guys to learn. And there was a chip on their shoulder that they're like, I've spent 20 years becoming amazing at pencil and paper animation. Why do I have to start over again? And, <laughs> and, and I saw a lot of those guys hit that wall and fail. Um, you know, personally, like I, I was in a leadership position and I actually had to let go of someone who was one of the most amazing animators I ever left because he's like, I'm not oh, wow. going to, I'm not going to draw on a computer. Like he was just adamant about it. And he, it, you know, he just was like, I'd rather walk away and essentially fade off into the sunset than, than mm. move forward. And that frightened me. And and it, it, yeah. it was a lesson that I, I learned really early on that like. I'm never going to do that. Like, if it if it means I have to basically hit the reset button every three or four years, I'm not only going to not be afraid of it, I'm going to embrace it. Um, so for me, I, I feel like I'm every. I feel like every six months, like something new comes up that I'm trying to do. For me right now, I really want to get back to doing two D animation, character animation. Um, I've spent a lot of time. I've been very lucky the, the last six months to do a lot of After Effects character work, um, and because of that, I'm kind of bumping up into the bumping up into the, the limitations I think of what After Effects is built for, um, yeah. with, 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 us that specific of a task. And, um, I'm looking at other things like I've, I've been spending the last month really doubling down on, um, a program called anime studio pro, um, yeah. which I dig. It's really cool, man. Like if you do character work, it's definitely, it's got its rough edges, but, um, I, I actually was in Ireland last, this about this time last year. And, uh, I happened to be in the same town as a studio called cartoon saloon. They did, um, this movie, uh, secret of Kells and another movie called uh, song of the sea. And, uh, I, again, Twitter, man, like I, I yeah, did. man, I had forgotten, I'd forgotten that I follow them and they follow me. And I, I was just looking at Twitter. I was like, Oh man, kill Kenny. I think, I think cartoon saloons either here or Dublin. And then I looked on, on Twitter and I'm like, Oh, I'm going to DM them. And I forgot that I could. And I just literally like DM their Twitter. And I'm like, Hey, I'm in town tomorrow. Um, could, <laughs> could I stop by and introduce myself Wow! And like ten minutes later, one of their their like social media persons like, "Yeah, we'd love to have you come by." And I was just like, "Okay, I'll, I'll ride this out. Let's see what I can do." And then I showed up the next day and was staying there for like an hour and a half and got to meet you know like pretty much everybody except for Tom Moore. Hung out with their director of their next feature, which is going to be amazing. It's called The Breadwinner, and I can I cannot wait for it to come out. Um, yeah,
0: man. Mm.
1: They're just amazing studio. And, and <clears throat> one of the crazy things was they're working on a, a show for Netflix called Puffin Rock. And I was like, "Oh, cool! Are you guys using Toon Boom? You're using Harmony? Like, what are you? And they're like, "Oh, we're using this thing called Anime Studio Pro." And like half of my time that I spent there was with like their lead animator, just wow. learning their like seeing what their pipeline was like and seeing how they use the tools. And like they work directly with the company, so they they are constantly like updating the uh, um, program for them. Um, and I just kind of fell in love with it. And the crazy thing was like the next week was Seagraph last year. So I introduce myself to the guys who make it, and they're like, "Oh yeah, no, we know these guys." And I got, a, <laughs> you know, like another tour of like these are the new things that we're we're planning on. Like you should, you know, like wow. and, and then, but but like the whole thing, like that networking thing is like giving something back. You know, like the whole idea is like it's not just taking; it's giving back. Um, and like I, I know it's a like, phrase, but like um, like giving value. You know, so immediately I was like, "Oh cool!" I'm like, you know, I use a lot of After Effects, and they started asking me questions immediately. Like, "Oh, so if you've done character stuff in animation or uh, character animation in After Effects." What 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 are, like, your top three pain points? And we just sat there for, like, a half an hour at the Seagraph booth just being like, oh, you know, like, I'm really frustrated that, you know, like, we only have one kind of control null. And he's like, oh, well, let me show you our bones. And what would you want? It was this great conversation that's still going now. Um, but, yeah, Anime Studio Pro is really fun. They just added frame-by-frame tools in the newest version. Um, so you can kind of do frame-by-frame. But if you do, like, hinged, puppet-style stuff in After Effects, um, rigging and using bones... Um, there's so many features that you either have to you know, get three or four scripts from A scripts or do a lot of legwork to make work. Uh, it just works in, a, in a Anime Studio. It's really, really cool. I'm super stoked.
0: Yeah, man one one of the guys that that we just hired, Nate, has been pushing Anime Studio. He's been like showing me the crazy stuff that he can do in it. It's it's pretty awesome. And yeah, and like I think there's a there's a really interesting resource. I wish I could remember it off the top of my head where you can you can get kind of like behind the scenes access to Song of the that cruise. Oh
1: yes, yeah.
0: Files. What is that called? I, I can't, can't remember what it is. Oh, I'll
1: have to look it up because I, I remember when they announced it. I was like, wait, you're getting the actual like just images or files. And yeah. I think it's like, it's, it's basically like a, an animators encyclopedia with scene files, with references, with like access to the people who made the work. Yeah. we have to look that up. That's awesome.
0: Dude, we, we are running out of time, which sucks. Maybe we need to do a, a Ryan Summers part two later. Because <laughs> Anytime. I, I've been loving it, but we, we got to move on to our final questions that we kind of ask everybody who comes on the show. Mm-hmm. Um, first being who is your dream client? Oh man.
1: Is it, is it rude to say myself?
0: No, not at all. (laughs) Has anybody said
1: myself? Um, I don't think so. Yeah, definitely. My dream client, uh, maybe that's egotistical, but my dream client is definitely me. The the stack of Evernote entries of personal projects that I have um, (laughs) that I want to do is so long that I'm afraid that like, I'm just not going to have time to approach them. So yeah, Um, for me, it's definitely, I've been super fortunate to work with, no joke with heroes like people that that since before i decided to do this i respected their work um Hmm. that i i want to continue doing that and i I hope i'm lucky enough to but there's a a a big part of me that wants to tell stories that wants to to you know design characters that wants to animate um that wants to explore styles that you know like i have such a weird set of influences and experiences that i i really want to um it's something. It's been kind of in the air lately about doing your own work and not being yeah. a not being a bricklayer, in quotes. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's that's a
0: whole conversation. Yeah,
1: yeah. And, and there's good signs of both and bad signs of that. But I I really do, I really would like to see more people becoming the product instead of making the product. If that makes yeah, any sense, because I, mean, I think yeah. we have, I think there's there's in five to ten years in the infrastructure we all work in, I think there's very little value. In almost everything in our industry, you know, the studio structure, the billing infrastructure, the agency system, I think there's very little value to an end client or to a viewer in any of that. And the only real thing of value is the individual creativity of each person. Um, Hmm. I really think that that, that over the next five to ten years that that will be... The, the key thing. And you see it now. I see an animation. I see so many animators, whether it's those guys that worked at Disney that, that kind of walked away or people that are working right now um, that leave Pixar, that leave Sony, that leave DreamWorks, um, and they start their own things. And, and all of that stuff exists. The ability to create the audience, the ability to manufacture or distribute, the ability to sell and bill, um, the ability to continually engage that audience um, in a way that's different than... Um, oh, I have to buy a can of Coke. Like you have an audience that could potentially be rooting for you. Um, all that stuff exists. And even you know, as short as five years ago, that infrastructure was not there. Um, yeah. and, but the one thing that is consistent is we still all know how to tell stories. We still all know how to create characters people believe in. We know how yep. to make things that emotionally affect people. Um, and no one else has that. Um, and there's, there's power in that and there's power to make your life better. There's power to make your own, your own schedule. There's power to walk away from a structure you don't like, you know, all that stuff is there and it exists for people and it doesn't have to be one or the other, you know, you could still work in a studio, but you know, like I'm literally looking at the the list of people on animalators and all these great animations. And I keep on thinking like, man, I sure would love to see Greg Gunn do an animated series. You know, like I sure would love to see what Rachel Yonder would do if she did a webcomic. Um, And I think, I think that for me, that's why I'd say like my, my number one client would be me in the future. It's a struggle, but I'd
0: love to see it. Man, you used to see me over here. I'm like double fist pumping. like, (laughs) Dude, I I couldn't agree more. And that's like, you just described my dream, like personally, Mm -hmm. that that's where I want to go. And and I'm excited to see what, what comes out of that for you. Um, I'm excited to see what you make. And, and I think, and I, and, I, and that's the future right there that I hope for. So I mm-hmm. love that. I love that so much. All right. I, I wish we could jam on that for a while, but, uh, for favorite animated film, next question. <laughs>
1: um, can, can I give you more than one?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Go. Okay. Go, so go.
1: number one movie all time, animated live action, everywhere, anywhere, Iron Giant, always hands down, will always be the best movie. No one will ever top it. <laughs> um, be- best film ever. No question. yeah. Um, but I, I was thinking about this before too. Um, best Pixar movie or 3D animated movie, Ratatouille. Ooh.
0: You don't, I don't hear that choice very no, often, no. to be and, honest. It,
1: it, I mean, the thing about that is like, if you're an artist who's ever struggled and you don't watch that movie and don't feel like, oh man, they made this movie for me. You know, like that, that, that movie is made for artists who have fought for whatever they they've believe in They've fought to become an artist mm-hmm. or fought to even wake up yeah. in the morning and say I'm an artist. It's also a movie that like literally builds to one shot I've never seen another film like it. Literally builds all to the moment that the the critic takes that first bite of Ratatouille. Like everything builds that. That and that shot is one of the most amazing shots. That kind of like yeah. Hitchcockian kind of like yeah, dolly
0: zoom. But it's yeah. not.
1: It's not used for fear or apprehension or paranoia nope. or terror. It's used for wonder. It's used for like amazing. And the whole film builds towards that. Um, it also has a background story that will never be told because. This was going to be the first movie that Pixar made outside of Disney because they were negotiating and they decided they were going to leave. And it's a story about a rat whose hero, his reputation, has been tarnished and manipulated by a giant corporation. So Ratatouille and Gusteau equals Mickey Mouse and Walt Disney. But that story will never be told because they ended up you know, hooking back up with Disney yeah, and Disney bought yeah, it. But, yeah. but if that movie would have come out then, it would have been one of the most like punk rock, probably the most punk rock thing <laughs> that had ever happened in animation. So for those three reasons alone, Iron Giant. Um, and then the wow. last one, um, be- best uh, anime for me is um, anything by Satoshi Kon, uh, animation director. Oh. did Tokyo Godfathers and um, Paprika and a couple other things. Uh just n- no one else directs films like him. Sadly, he's he's no longer with us. But his films, like I feel like, should be studied by by live action directors and and animators alike.
0: All right. Next question. What do the people you love think that you do for a living? <laughs> do, you have, do you have any good stories on that one? Yeah,
1: I think my parents. Like I, I think I said earlier, my parents are super young, and they're they're pretty pretty on top of everything. My my parents yeah. and my brother totally get it. But uh, I have extended family that I I don't really I talk to that much. But I remember when I told one of them that i was going to school for art the only thing that they could conceive was that i was an interior designer so outside of my parents and my brother i think a lot of my extended family think i pick wallpaper and put (laughs) put uh sofas and couches in in the right place for some reason like they just couldn't fathom that you could you know be an artist and uh make a living so yeah i guess they i guess that's what they thought i did (laughs) that's correct. all
0: right last question what animal did you choose for your animal and why
1: I picked an orangutan um, because I don't know, man. Like one, it's a weird thing, but I, I have to get away from the computer sometimes. So, anytime I can like get a day off or like a Saturday, I end up going. We have a, a really great zoo here in LA that most people don't know about. Um, but when I was trying to pick my animal, I went through like my thousands of photos from just going on trips, um, and I realized that I have all these great pictures of orangutans. And um, I went back right before I started animating. I literally spent the whole day at the LA zoo watching, there's like four or five of them. And man, they're the most, most unique. Like, like every one of the, the, these orangutans at the LA zoo has a totally different face, totally different personality. Um, and they're so weird. They're such a weird animal. Like when you sit, if you, if you go to a zoo, I challenge everybody to go to a zoo, like stay at like one thing for like a half an hour like, don't just look and be like, oh, I don't see the lion. Okay, I'm leaving. Or like, oh, I saw the elephant. Cool. Like, if you just stay somewhere, <laughs> like, just force, and I know it's hard if you have kids, but, like, if you go somewhere, just stay and force yourself to be in one place for 30 minutes. And the amount of, like, gems that you will get as an animator, mm. as a designer, yeah. like, like, even simple stuff, like, the shapes that you'll see like uh, in my animation there's a male orangutan and the shapes that this guy's face makes when he rolls over or when he stands up and you see the like extension and the compression and then when it kind of squishes back together he has these giant like kind of flappy cheek things that only like the dominant male orangutan has man it's it's crazy it, it, it <laughs> you get so much inspiration you're just like I, if you don't want to animate that that animal after you see it like you're not an animator it's amazing <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, Ryan, thank you so much for being so generous with your time. I, I feel so energized and inspired right now. So I, I seriously appreciate it. Thanks no for problem. coming on the show.
1: Thank you, man. I really appreciate it. It's awesome.
0: Animalators is part of the Gradient Podcast Network and created in collaboration between Identity Visuals and Gradient. To learn more about the work we're doing at Identity Visuals, check out IdentityVisuals.com or follow us on Twitter at Identity Visuals. And don't forget to go check out the brand new, just launched website from Gradient, gradient Gradient.is. You can also find them on Facebook or follow them on Twitter at Gradient.is. That's Gradient, D-O-T-I-S. And you can follow us on Twitter at Animalators. Animalators.com is another great website you should check out, because there you can see Ryan's Animalator and all the other incredible Animalators from previous guests who have been on our podcast. To find out more about Ryan, head to his website, ryansummers.net, or you can check him out on Twitter at, at Odernod. The theme music to this show was written and produced by Cody Fry. Check out more of his work at codyfry.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or you can listen to us on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Overcast, Google Play, YouTube, really anywhere you listen to your podcasts. And if you're into this podcast, we'd love for you to leave a review or drop us a note. We always love getting your feedback. And when you leave us a review on iTunes, it helps other animators find this podcast, too. Well, that'll do it for this week's episode. Thank you guys so much for listening. I can't wait to be back in a couple weeks for another episode of Animalators curious conversations from the world of animation.